Welcome back to another Young Broadcasters podcast. Today we're with John Courtney. Say hi, John. Hi. (laughs) So my first question is, why did you choose to go to Christ Church first for your tour? Um, Well, there's two answers to that. The first answer is I didn't choose it. I have a tour promoter who organizes all the dates and the venues. Um, So it it wasn't initially a conscious decision on my part, but that was the first venue. Um, I wanted to do somewhere on the South Coast because uh, my sister lives in the New Forest and my best friend lives in, near Bournemouth. Um, so I knew that if I could get a date down there, I'd get a really good audience. And in fact, the fact it's the first night probably isn't a great thing because I wanted to record the night we did in Christchurch because I knew it was going to be a really good audience with lots lots of friends and family there. The fact that it's the first night means it's probably the night I shouldn't record it because it's not going to be as good as like, you know, the last night when I've actually learned the show um, that I probably don't broadcast that. Of course, I'm going to know the show by the first night of the tour. It'll be fine. Um, there's a lot of new stuff that I've written for the, for the tour, and um, I'm not really going to get a chance to run it with audiences until I start doing the tour. Like people sometimes people do like a work in progress uh, shows. And I haven't got the time to do that. So my work in progress show will be Christchurch, which makes it much more exciting. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, So I'm very excited it's the first night and I'm excited it's going to be buzzing because of friends and family there. But I wouldn't necessarily have chosen that to be the first night because it would have been better if I could have got a few in before I did Christchurch. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably not the right answer, but that's the truth. Yeah, I have a tour promoter who organises all the dates and um, where I'm going, so... But very excited to come to Christchurch. How far is Christchurch from you guys? Is that not far? Three hours. Three hours. Oh, that's a oh Jesus, that's a long way. That okay, my okay. In my head, South Coast is South Coast, but of course, you know, I was born in Weymouth. I was born right down there, but of course, you're much further down in the in the corner, aren't you? So, yeah. There we go. What kind okay. of acting do you do? What kind of acting? Um, well, I've done different stuff over the years I was in a youth theatre when I was between the ages of 16 and 18 and absolutely loved it some of the happiest times of my life um, it was in Suffolk and I was at a boarding school and uh, English head of English at my boarding school said that the local theatre the Wolsey Theatre in Ipswich was doing a youth theatre and only two of us were chosen from our, our group uh, to, to join it myself and a guy called Marcus Fawcett and uh, and I just loved it we did so many great shows and I got the acting bug. And I, I think, you know, you have that moment in your life that there's a film called Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow, which focuses on what can happen if you make a decision and things can go like either way. I think when I was doing theatre, um, I applied for to do drama school when I was probably 18. I'd, I'd just done A-level, so 18 or 19. Um, and then I got a job at a local I was living in Cyprus because my parents had moved to Cyprus so I got a job at a local hotel and they paid me quite a lot of money to play the piano and do a comedy uh, a comedy show and I started doing that and that took off so I didn't do my audition for drama school and that's the one thing in my life that I think if things had gone differently because I'd love to do more acting I'd love to do more drama and be part of a, a, a cast you know um and I, youth theatre was a, a huge deal for me. I mean, it, it, what you guys are doing now is just fantastic. And you'll look back on this when you're older as some of the happiest times of your life because it's just it's just brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a, it, I, I try not to regret anything because there's no point in regret. You know, life goes forward, not backwards. But a, a tiny regret is that I didn't do drama school and didn't pursue more drama. 
Um, so the acting that I've done, I've I've loved. I've done a, a few different shows. Um, I've done a couple of adverts. I've done any sort of TV stuff that I've done where I'm acting is is. I love it. It, it feels more natural to me than doing what I do, doing piano and you know cabaret. I, I almost prefer acting. I was sort of hoping that BGT would open some acting doors, but it kind of didn't. B, BGT, if anything, pigeonholes you slightly because people see you on the telly doing something, and then people at book shows only see you doing what they've seen you do on the telly. A lot of producers don't see past that. They don't think, well, maybe he could do something else. And that was a that was a learning curve. You know, it's like, oh, I've won BGT, so all of a sudden I'm going to be offered all these acting roles, and it it doesn't work like that. Um, so yeah, a bit disappointing. But yeah, s- stick with it because acting and drama were the happiest times of my life. Hi, Jamie here. Uh, Hi, Jamie. What is your longest song? <laughs> my longest song? Yeah. Um, probably the, a new one that I've written for the tour uh, actually is about six minutes, which is the longest, uh, which you won't have heard because it's a new one that I've written for the tour. Uh, before that one, I don't know, they're, they're always about sort of three or four minutes, I suppose. For the actor song is about four and a half minutes, which I haven't done yet. I did it in Edinburgh. Yeah, uh, the, the, there's something in your brain that, that um, from back in the day of trying to get songs, not my day, but back in the sort of 50s and 60s when people were trying to get songs in the charts, if your song was more than three minutes, it would never get played on the radio because three minutes was the absolute cutoff. Um, there's a great story about Queen writing Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, so many people turned that down and just said, this is ridiculous. Nobody will ever play this. No radio station will ever play this song because it's five and a half minutes or four and a half minutes long. Um, and loads loads of people just dismissed it. And that was Bohemian Rhapsody. So, you know, don't listen to anybody. Stick to your guns. <laughs> My longest one's probably, probably about five minutes. Yeah. Wow. Random wow. question. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> What's your longest song, Jamie? <laughs> oh, gosh. I haven't written a song. I haven't written a song. Okay. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, what what musicians actually inspire you? Oh, God, so many. Um, I've got a really eclectic taste, uh, depending on what day of the week it is, depending on how I feel. I listen to everything. Uh, I mean, obviously, all the piano players. I love Boogie Woogie. I love Jules Holland. Uh, all the Jules Holland albums are just happy and feel good and fun and... You know, if I want to lift, I listen to Jules Holland, Harry Connick Jr., um, all the, you know, obviously Billy Joel, Elton John, their piano players, but they didn't influence me as much as um, the, sort of the, the 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 Harry Connick Juniors. When I, I think when I was, in fact, when I was when I was doing um, a drama when I was in my youth theatre, my girlfriend at the time, Harry Connick. Do you know who Do you all know who Harry Connick Jr. is? You familiar with Harry Connick Jr.? I think so. Okay, and I mean, Google him. He's, he's amazing. All the stuff he does is so cool. He's an actor as well, but he's an um, incredible piano player, jazz musician. And my girlfriend at the time had just discovered him. He, he'd just come on the scene and she played me one of his tracks and uh, I, I became a bit besotted with, with Harry. Um, so, but music-wise, everything. I mean, I'm not really into like heavy metal and thrash and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, that... I yeah, sorry. Is that is that I, your thing? I, I, I might be might be the opposite of that. <laughs> no, that's that's great. I mean, whatever rocks your boat. I I don't. I'm not taking away from their talent. It, it's just you know, horses for courses. It's whatever floats yeah. your boat. Um, and if I'm gonna listen to stuff, because when I do listen to music, I very rarely have it on as background. It's normally yeah. headphones or in the car, and I properly listen to it. So, um, yeah, heavy metal and thrash is is not something that I have have playing. But everything from 
opera to country to jazz to blues to rock and roll to pop to everything yeah everything you've, you've got to have a yeah. if, i think i think if, you, if you're a musician you'd be amazed what you can be influenced by you know don't just think oh i'm a jazz musician so i'll only listen to jazz i mean if you listen to some of the covers that have been written by pop stars who have covered jazz songs or even heavy metal songs yeah and they've, they've taken a song and you think that's um what's the one i listened to tonight um uh john bon jovi uh, uh it's gone forgot what it was there's a john bon jovi song which you only hear as john bon jovi singing it and there's a girl that's released it as a as a single just on a piano and it's a whole new song but you wouldn't immediately associate one one with the other you know so a good song is a good song so yeah yeah thank you it's all right hi it's poppy um what do your hey, kids poppy. think of your music um what are they th- i don't know you'd have you'd have to ask them i think and they're not available right now <laughs> um i i mean they they like it i think they enjoy my eldest is 18 now so even if he enjoys it he'll pretend that he doesn't because he's 18 um my youngest is 12 and he's also at that sort of age and they've also got very used to it i mean long before i did bgt i mean i've been doing this job for 25 years so ever since they were born dad has been on stage playing music and um my youngest still loves coming if he's at one of my shows he'll come to my rehearsals and he loves it when i play like the rock and roll stuff because he'll sit in the excuse me he'll dance in the aisles of the theater when it's empty in my rehearsal and he'll dance to the rock and roll and sing along which is really great um i think my eldest used to do that too but obviously now he doesn't because he's too cool and he's 18 and yeah probably dad's a bit embarrassing i don't know um but I think they, I, I think quite early on, certainly when it came to the TV stuff, they got over it quite quickly. At the time, they were, you know, really excited and they got to meet celebrities and blah, blah, blah. But then I think within, certainly within a year, um, they went from sort of watching me on their iPad to just going, oh, dad's on TV again, whatever. And it became, which is nice. I mean, that that's a, that's a good thing to be. You don't want, I don't want them going to school and, and being like, oh, do you know who my dad is? And he's done this and he's done that because then they're going to get beaten up. Um, so it, it's kind of nice that they just take it in their stride and it's just the job that dad does. But I think they like what I do. Yeah. And I, I think they're still kind of kind of proud of what dad does. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> I'll ask them afterwards. <laughs> Hi, it's Evie here. Hi, Evie. Um, so other than playing your original songs, are there any other songs you enjoyed to play on the piano? Oh god, yeah. M- mostly anything else. I, I mean, I like playing mine, but I, I love l- playing other people's and putting my own sort of spin on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I play some Ed Sheeran stuff. I, I do some Adele. Well, not Adele actually. Uh, Bob Dylan, who wrote "To Make You Feel My Love," which Adele had a big hit with before she was as big as she became. That song was in my repertoire before Adele did it. In fact, it's on my first album when I first made a CD when I was twenty, uh, twenty nine, thirty. I made a CD and uh, Billy Joel recorded the Bob Dylan song to make you feel my love. And I loved it and I did my own version of it. And then three years later, Adele released it and it went stratospheric. So my claim to fame is that I released that on an album before Adele did. I'm sure that she was inspired by my arrangement and that's what made her want to do it. Um, so I love playing other people's music. Yeah. And but always I, I, I never try and copy anybody else's stuff because um, why Why would you? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sinatra and the, the rap pack, you know, the music from sort of the, 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 fifth, the 40s and 50s. Um, 
I love that music, but like Mr. Bojangles, uh, which you may or may not know, was was written by a guy called Jerry Jeff Walker in the 1930s, and a guy called Sammy Davis Jr. had a big hit with that song. And I, when I heard Sammy Davis do that song, I loved it. It tells a story. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And I didn't do it for years because nobody's going to do it better than Sammy Davis Jr. did it. It was like his signature song. So I didn't do it for years. And then uh, my granddad, when I was about 15, my granddad said to me, well, nobody, you know, Sammy Davis doesn't sit at a piano and, and sing it while he plays the piano. So if you did that, it would be different. So I had this arrangement written and, and that became a part of my show. I actually, in my tour last year, I, I did Mr. Bojangles. So I love singing other people's songs. Yeah, is the short answer. Nice. <laughs> uh, where is your favourite place slash place to tour? Uh, favourite place in England or favourite place worldwide? Worldwide, I guess. Um, I I do like American audiences. That There's an energy that... Uh, I, I don't know what... the I've had this conversation with friends of mine that are performers for years now, and we we don't know what the difference is. We, we, um, America's so messed up in so many ways. I mean, not even considering Trump. It's a crazy place. But American audiences have an energy. It's almost like they don't care. Like, I, I think if you're a British person in an audience, we, we don't tend to whoop, you know, we don't, woo, woo, yeah, come on. We don't tend to do that because... I, maybe we're a bit self-conscious of what people will think of us if we do that in an audience. Americans don't have that. They don't have any edit facility of how they react to a show. So if they're enjoying something, they just let rip and they, come on. And if you're a performer on stage, that energy is transferable and it's incredible. And you don't get that level of, of energy from, an, from a British audience, even the best British audience that might stand up and give you a standing ovation. During the show you'll never quite know whether they're loving it as much as they are loving it. Whereas Americans don't give you any doubt. They're just like, if they're loving it at the same time, if they're hating it, they'll tell you, they'll be like, crap, get off the stage. Um, but there is an energy in America, which you don't have in, in England. Uh, so I, I do like performing to American audiences, but I love the Brits too. In case anybody's watching this, who's thinking about booking my tour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm on a streak of unrelated questions, uh, but does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely. <laughs> you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't agree? No, God, no. It's a signature question. We ask it at every No, well, I, I have quite a strong feeling about this. My, my, my argument with, with food is if you like it, eat it. I mean, it, it don't, don't force anybody else to do it. I mean, I would have an issue with you if you told me I'm not allowed to put pineapple on my pizza <laughs> yeah. and, and vice versa. I would never force you to put pineapple on your pizza. But if I like it on my pizza, who are you to tell me not to do it? Exactly. And that that goes right through life. <laughs> it's a very good question. It's a very good question. Yeah. Hi, it's Theo. Um, do you play any other instruments? Um, I, I did uh, when I was younger. I, I don't so much anymore. I, I was in a I was in a brass band at school. I, I played all the valve instruments. You learn one valve instrument, you can play most of them. I played the tenor horn, the trumpet. I wasn't particularly good, but I learned I learned how to do it. Um, but no, it's mostly just piano and harmonica badly. I can see a panto poster behind you. Are you into panto? Are you doing one this year? No, that that was that was last year's. Um, I, I wanted to do one this year, but I didn't want to be too far away from home. 
um I, I was i was very lucky last year we did uh i did saint helens which is only less than an hour from my house um and so this year i said if i did it again i'd, I'd want to be within two hours of being able to get home because you only have christmas day off so you know get home for christmas and then you go back for boxing day it's quite intense doing panto um but I would have loved to do it again, but I got an offer from places that were just miles away, like four or five hours away, Exeter, miles away, you know. Um, and I, I just said, I can't do it. I mean, well, Alfie's still only 12 and I wanted to be at home more. So I didn't do it this year, but maybe next year. I loved it. It's amazing. Such a great art form, Panto. Nothing else. Like, you just, this is the thing. I've got American friends. Americans have no idea what Panto is. They, they, it doesn't exist in America. Yeah, and you tr you try and explain what it is and you see them just you said well there's a guy that dresses up as a girl and there's a girl that dresses up as a guy and you break the fourth wall and you talk to the audience and they and you get people up on set they have no concept of what panto is it's the funniest thing when you try and explain it to them so hopefully next year hi it's um, evie here hi evie um so i noticed that you mentioned the greatest showman in one of your songs um did that mm. have any relation to your suits because i thought they were quite sort of extravagant and very you know wow so is there any relation with um with those two what the suits that i wore on bgt yeah were they inspired by the greatest showman or no by anything no not at all if it was only pointed out to me afterwards that um my, so that when you do your audition, you wear your own clothes, obviously, because it's the audition. So I had this blue jacket that I still wear today. That is one of my show jackets that I just like. It's a it's a funky jacket. I tend to wear black trousers, white converse, a black t-shirt, and a and a funky jacket. That tends to be my my look. So I had this blue jacket that I wear. So I wore that for the audition, and then for the semi-finals, they they uh, designed a white jacket for me, and they pay for all that. So they have a white jacket made, or a, they have the whole outfit made. They buy you. They bought me some nice jeans and some shoes and the, they buy you everything for the semi-finals and you get to keep it. So I had this white jacket and then for the finals, they had this red jacket and that they decided that they bought for me. And because they had a red light on the piano and the theme was red and black. So they gave me all that as well. And it was only it was it was about six months after the whole thing had finished. And somebody sent me a link and they said, did you realize that you wore red, white and blue for your BGT? thing and you know it was about britain's got talent and britain and at no point did i even realize that that was that was a thing but i did I, it, it all that was blue blue white and red um yeah so uh no it, it, they they come up with ideas for you and they buy you stuff and you get to keep it it's good this is ari what makes you the greatest showman what wow that what makes me the greatest showman i, I don't think i am the greatest showman uh, you said it in one of your songs, didn't you? No, I said my kids tell me I'm the greatest showman. That's the line from the song. <laughs> oh. Ah, yeah. No, I would never think I'm the greatest showman. I'm, I'm far from the greatest showman. Um, the, the line in the song was, um, uh, I forget what the line was, the kids, whatever the kids say, and they always say, you're the greatest showman, Dad, because my kids, you know, they certainly three years ago, they were, my eldest was probably more proud well no he is still proud of me but he's 18 now so you know he's he's not allowed to be showing any signs of affection because he's 18 <laughs> um but no they i mean both my kids i think are proud of me and they love what i do for a living certainly long before bgt you know they, they they used to come love coming to watch me do shows um and uh i mean they probably never even said you're the greatest showman i probably just nicked that for the line of the song i don't know <laughs> 
but no, I've I've never said I'm the greatest showman. I'm far from it. I'm, I I love being a showman. I love doing what I do. Um, but there isn't a day goes by when I don't watch somebody on YouTube or TV or film or something who blows my mind. I mean, even going back to sort of you know the olden days, um, we're all we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. I've said this for years. Um, no matter what you do, if you're an actor, a singer, a dancer, an acrobat, a pianist, a musician, we're all influenced by the people who went before us. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, and I had a few negative comments on the back of BGT who said, um, oh, you know, he, he's not as good as. And then there were names thrown out there, whether it was Tim Minchin or Victoria Wood or, or Dudley Moore. These might be names you're not familiar with. I don't know. Um, but I, 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 I just took it. I said, I'm, I've never said I am better than I'm, you know, we're, we're all influenced by the people that went went before us. And that's as it should be. I mean, you know, we're all learning from the people that went before us. Right. So, yes, not the greatest showman, but thank you. <laughs> What's your favorite musical if you have one? Hmm. I don't have one. Uh I've seen so many over the years. The last one I saw was Hamilton. Uh, my, my eldest son is obsessed with it and has learnt every single lyric, which is kind of impressive. Every time we're in the car, he has to link his phone and we have to sit through him singing Hamilton. And he can't sing. Um, so it's it's excruciating. Um, but I love the fact that he likes it. So we went to see that because it's in Manchester at the moment. It's at the Theatre in Manchester. And I loved it. thought it was amazing. Um, but over the years, I, oh God, no, there's, I don't, you can't have, it's like saying, what's your favorite song? I, I don't think you can have one. There's, there's too many different genres of, of song. And, um, I love Wicked. Uh, that was another, I, I think all my favorites are probably the ones that I've seen. I mean, I listen to everything. I'm, you know, I'm influenced by all kinds of musicals. Um, uh, uh but no, I, there's, I'm, so here's, so when I was, um, 12 years old Phantom of the Opera came out it was written and it got it came out in the West End and my dad said to me um, I'll buy you the score of Phantom of the Opera and for every song that you learn from the show I'll give you five pounds because I didn't really read music I, I tended to play by ear but I had a piano teacher um, and I wasn't doing very well because I don't read music I learned better by listening by ear so my dad bought me the score the whole not just every song every single bit of music from Phantom of the Opera was in this book it was about that thick and he said for every every bit you learn I'll pay you five pounds and I learned every single piece of music from Phantom some of it by listening to it but some of it by working out and reading it um and at the end of it he owed me about 100 pounds <laughs> and I was I was only 12 years old um so I you know I and I still haven't seen it. I've still never seen the show Phantom of the Opera, but I know the music backwards because I learned it when I was a kid to play on the piano. Um, so yeah, Phantom is one of my favorite shows, even though I've never seen it. There's a story. I haven't told that before. Nice. <laughs> this is Lottie here. Did music help Hi. you get through the challenges of 2020 to 2021? Oh God, yeah. Um, yeah, completely. I mean, I had, a, I, had a, I had this whole cancer thing going on as well at the same time as BGT. Um, and music, music's always been my my sort of go-to. Um, whether it's listening to it or writing it, it's it, it's I, I've never really kept, except for 2020. The one year that I kept a diary was 2020, um, which helped me to write my book, which is out in one week, one week today. Um, but I've never kept a diary. Some people keep a diary to help them process their thoughts. 
for me it's always been music um so yeah uh, being forced to write stuff for, for a primetime tv show was obviously there was some pressure but it was a good it was a good um uh diversion from the stuff that was going on which was either covid or the whole cancer thing that, that i was diagnosed with at the time i'm okay now um but at the time it was it was sort of you know really affecting me so i i turned to music which is i think why i wrote what i wrote i mean the whole thing certainly the final song about writing about small things that make you feel better it wasn't just covid it was about looking around me and thinking you know being really scared and and um and not handling my diagnosis bravely as bravely as i wanted to so i turned to music and i'd sit right here in this in this studio and i'd have my laptop and my pens and paper and I try and write stuff and it helped me get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Thanks. What Thanks. charities are you passionate about supporting? Uh, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I became a patron of a few charities on the back of doing the TV stuff. Uh, my, my father had dementia. So there's a charity um, called Lost Chord and they take music and musicians into care homes with patients who, who have dementia and music is so powerful i mean it, it's incredible when 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 uh um lost chords uh catchphrase is when words fail music heals and it's so true it's incredible when you see the difference that it makes um so that's an amazing charity that i'm very supportive of and then there's a few cancer charities Macmillan obviously helped me when i was going through it so i helped them uh charity called skin skcin i became a patron for them as well um, and it's tough because I got contacted by so many charities and you want to, you want to help everybody, you know, you want to, you want to do something for everybody. The Royal British Legion. I mean, I wrote a song for them, which is still in my show now, in my live show. When I do my live show, um, all these charities that got in touch said, could you write us a song? And it got really overwhelming because a lot of these charities don't lend themselves to comedy songs. You know, I mean, there was a, a, a children's charity, um, called Hope House. And it was all about end of families that had lost children, whose children had passed away from whatever. And this charity was helping the, the families who had lost children. And they approached me to write, how do you write a song about a charity that helps families who have lost children? I mean, that's not, that's too much. You can't, you know, you can't. Um, and then Macmillan asked me to write a song. When I went to them after I'd got my second diagnosis, after my second all clear, um, Macmillan said, I went to Macmillan. I said, look, can I help? Because you've helped me. Can I help you? And they said, the brief was, could you write us a funny up-tempo song about skin cancer? I said, yeah, no problem. So I wrote a thing called The Mole Song, which is, you know, it sort of went out there and the Sun newspaper did it and the TV, there's a few TV programs around with it. Um, and it, it, it sort of felt like it did make a bit of a difference, just encouraging people to check their moles and lumps and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it can overwhelm you, the whole charity thing. It's it's because it, you, as I say, you want to help everybody. You want to do something for everybody, but you just can't. So you've got to try and pick and choose. And I was quite proud to be a patron of a few charities, which was lovely. Yeah. Great question. You guys are good. You guys have got good <laughs> questions. Why should people buy your book? Wow. Why should people buy my book? Um, well, it's certainly not because I make any money. There's a very small price. <laughs> it's, it's not about the money. Trust me. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, uh, because, because I've got a story to tell, um, because one in two people in the UK, um, will be affected by cancer. Um, 
and everybody's affected differently. And even if you're not affected directly, you're going to know somebody who is affected. And I think my, 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 the biggest help for me when I was going through it was talking about it, which I didn't do for a long time uh, until I contacted Macmillan. They put me in touch with a, a therapist because you can't share it with your immediate family. You can't share everything because they're too close. You know, everybody, your, your parents, your loved ones, your mums, your dads, your husbands, your wives, they all love you. So you can't pour your heart out because it puts too much on them. So you find somebody you can talk to, whether it's a therapist or a friend or whatever. Um, and once I'd started doing that, it was a game changer. It, 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 it helped me so much. So if anything, I think what I've, what I've written about in the book, and it is feel good. It's not, you know, it, there's a few moments of like, <gasps> well, like you know, what's going to happen kind of thing. But obviously I'm still here. So there's a spoiler alert. I didn't die. Um, so I think talking about it and which is not normal for British people, you know, we don't share our feelings. We don't talk about our feelings. It's not what British people do, but it was the best thing that I did um, during my, my experience. So just buy it because whoever you are you know somebody if not yourself then you know somebody who is being affected by cancer and if you can encourage them to talk about it and or you can say i've read this book about this guy that went through it and he talked about it and it helped him then that might help somebody else um it sounds trite but that's why you should read the book yeah if you won 250 grand what would you what would you do with it today today or what did i do with it <laughs> well today what would you do with it if you want it today um what if, if i okay if i want it again like yeah. if i if yeah. i'd already bought the stuff that i've that i've done yeah. if i'd already yeah oh god um oh wow you guys are good <laughs> such good questions um i i don't know i mean i i i think try and try and help people um friends family um charity which is what what we kind of did um i mean it's it's still it's a life-changing amount of money i mean unfortunately at the, at the time when i won it before i hadn't worked for two years so as a family we we got into debt like a lot of people had especially people that were in my business i mean we hadn't worked for two years we had no income for two years and no matter how careful you are with your money you know, nobody plans for a rainy two years. You might plan for a rainy day, but not a rainy two years. Um, so today, if it came in, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I try and obviously look after my family, look after, you know, you try and make sure that your kids are going to be OK in the future and look after your family and then just try and make it try and make a difference. And it is it is so difficult. I mean, you have the, the people that approach you with stories that are just a heartbreaking and you literally want to help everybody and it, it it's so it's so difficult um i don't know how people that who do it who are who have huge just you know like multi-millionaires that have huge disposable incomes how do you decide wh where the money goes because it's impossible you you know you want to help everybody but you can't you have to choose um so the honest answer is, I, I don't know. I, I, I try and make a difference. I, I try and help people that needed helping, but it's 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 endless. It, it really is. I try not to squirrel it away, you know. Yeah. 
great question i don't know i don't know what i do today to be honest <laughs> i i bought my i, I bought my mum a stair lift three years ago and that was great <laughs> awesome.